Hey, this is Virgil Sierra, lead pastor of Vertical Church in South Florida. Welcome to our podcast. Thanks for connecting with us, and we hope this message encourages you and connects you vertically to God. Enjoy the message. And so today, we're going to talk about a very important principle entitled, You Gotta Go Back to Go Forward. You Gotta Go Back to Go Forward. Now, take out your sword, soldier of Christ. We're a Bible reading church, and I want to invite you to open up in two places. We're not going to start reading just yet, but I want you to get a head start so we don't lose time along the journey. I want you to open up to Genesis, uh, Exodus 20 and Genesis 50, okay? Exodus 20, Genesis 50. If you're new here, we are a Bible-believing and Bible-reading church. We will have verses on the screens for anybody that doesn't have a Bible, and I just want to encourage you. Obviously, you, ha- you can use your devices, but I want to encourage you to have a physical Bible when you come to church. Why, Pastor? Because I want to help disciple you. I want to help you grow in your discipleship. Um, and it's important to know how to use your word, your Bible. So Exodus 20 and Genesis 50, put a marker in those two spots. Today we're going to talk about foo. Everybody say foo. Foo stands for family of origin. We're going to talk about your family of origin. We're going to talk about the impact that your family has on you, not only in your discipleship, but as a follower of Jesus. And uh, in most cases, I would say in a high percentage, the single biggest factor in shaping who we become as adults is our family. And so let me start, you know, if you show me your family picture, I'll show you mine. And I wish I had some more family pictures, but let me show you mine. This is my family picture from when I was a kid. And uh, some of you might think that, how did Nico get in there? That's not Nico, that's me. And so for those, some of you know my family, some of you are new and you don't. So my father, uh, that's, that's Virgilio Sr., Maria, my mom, known as Pastora Maruja. Uh, they're my parents, they're also my pastors. Um, and you see my, my two lovely, more mature than me sisters, Mari and Pastor Claudia. Some of you guys know our, our vertical kids pastor. Um, this is, this is my family picture from, this is circa, I think, 1986, I think. 86, maybe 87 max. This is from the 1900s, everybody. <laughs> this is going, any 80s, any 80s babies? Like, any 80s babies? Yeah, any 60s and 70s babies around there? 60s? Yeah, yes. Yeah, so, so yeah, so maybe some, and then youth, you guys are like 2000s, right? So <laughs> this is like back from the 1900s, right? And, uh, and, you know, if we showed your family picture up here, what would be the immediate feelings? What would be the three or four words to describe your family? I'll, I'll tell you, you know, um, there's no such thing as a perfect family. But, but as I look back on this picture, by God's grace, at this point, my parents had already accepted and received Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, which, which I know is not everybody's story, but it's part of our story. And I thank God that that happened because it changed the trajectory of our family, which impacted me directly, and by the way, is impacting my kids. And, and I praise God for that. I praise God for that. I wonder, I wonder what words you would use. I, in this season, as I look at that, I would say, man, joy. And I would say protected. And I would say loved. Um, challenges along the journey, yeah. How about you? How was your foo? How was your family of origin? A key part of emotionally healthy spirituality 
is understanding how your family dynamics shaped you for better or for worse. God chose to birth you in a specific family, in a specific place, in a specific moment in history. And by the way, you know what that gave you when you were born in your family? It gave you two things, opportunities, but it also gave you some obstacles. Can I get an amen there? Can I get an amen? When you were born into your family, it gave you two things. It gave you blessings, but it also gave you baggage. And so if we were to examine our lives and our families of origin sincerely, my question is, how much baggage do you have? Some of us, and I say us because I feel fortunate. I'm not trying to, it's just the reality. Some of us, the baggage we were handed down is, is like a handbag. And, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a guy, but I, I still prefer to carry this around. Have you ever traveled in an airport? Like, like if I got to travel with this, man, that's, that's easy. That's easy. Some of us, the baggage that we were handed from our family, it's this. Praise God. I thank God for that. Some, some it's a little more. Some it's this and this. But you know what? I still got a hand free, you know, for a coffee or something. Some of us. Some of us, it's, it's a little more. How much baggage did your foo hand you? Some of us? You know, you know when you gotta get on the escalator? <laughs> and you try to figure out what to do. Like, it's hard to travel, and it's just the airport. Some of us? How much baggage did your family of origin hand you? And here's even more to think about. How much baggage will you hand down? You got to go back in order to go forward. You got to go back in order to go forward. Here's the big idea for today's message. A deeper walk with God requires all of us to go back in order to go forward. Because so many people are so excited to open up the door to their future, but they have 10 or 15 doors of their past still open. The problem that happens when you don't close the doors from your past is that it just sneaks right through. If you're going to live as a true self with true freedom in Christ, it requires breaking free from some of the broken patterns of the past in order to live a new life in the family of Jesus. How would you describe your family growing up? If it was a couple words, would it be warm and affirming? Would it be critical and tense? Would it be competitive or cooperative? 
Would it be close or distant? Would it be fun and playful or strict and serious? When the Bible talks about family, here's a point. In the Bible, it's referring to your extended family over three to four generations. Family, according to the Bible, is your extended family over three to four. So it's not just your parents and your siblings. It's, it's your uncles and your aunts. It's your grandparents and even your great-grandparents. For some of us, that would take us back to the late 1800s. For others, it would take us to the early 1900s, depending on our age. This is the most powerful influence in shaping who you are today. And there's a biblical reason for this. Let's go to Exodus chapter 20. You should have it open already. Anybody know what you find in Exodus 20? Anybody? The Ten Commandments are in Exodus chapter 20. And we're going to read a passage there. Um, Exodus chapter 20. And, And I think there's something we need to know about God and about life. Exodus 20, verse 5. We're jumping in here kind of like on the second commandment, right? Because we're not going to read all the commandments. But actually, actually, I want to start in verse 4. It says 5, but it's really verse 4. And it says, You shall not make for yourself any image in the form of anything in heaven, above or on earth beneath, or in the waters below. So that's pretty clear, right? We shouldn't make any image of anything that's in heaven or down here. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a what? Am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Pause, pause. So, so I just want you to notice here, it's talking, first of all, it's talking about idolatry, and then it's talking about God, God punishing because people who are, do idolatry hate him. So let me just mention two things. Number one, idolatry is when we have idols, any kind of idol or image of anything in heaven or on earth, and we bow, pray, light candles, or worship them. Which, by the way, there's some things that we got to talk about in the past, right, about some religion. So not only is that very clear, but I want to go a step further. Idolatry is not just literal idolatry. Idolatry is anything or anyone that takes the place of God in your life. So for some people, it's not, oh, oh, I'm I'm, I'm fine there, Pastor, because I don't pray or worship or light candles to any kind of idol. Well, sometimes your idol is money. Sometimes your idol is a person or a relationship because they are in front of God in your life. So anything, that's why God at one point calls Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac because he got a little bit too high on his priority list. So whenever we worship something or put something before God in our lives, that is idolatry and God doesn't like that. That's why we want to be families who put God first. And it says there, It says, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. But, six, showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Can I just pray for a second? Can I pray? Lord, thank you for this opportunity today to read your word, to understand your word, and to allow it to wash us. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to the 6th, 7th, and 8th grader in the room, and that you would speak to the 60, 70, and 80-year-old and everybody in between in this room and in online. And I pray that we would understand your word and that we would benefit from the principles and that our lives would be blessed for it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, it's understandable to struggle with some verses in the Bible. I think this is one of them because it just doesn't seem fair. 
I mean, honestly, why would God punish the children for the sins of their parents or great-grandparents three to four back generations back? It's kind of weird. It's kind of hard to swallow that pill. It doesn't seem to make sense that God would punish me for some foolishness of my great-grandparents. Are we in agreement? It's kind of like, ah, like, really? But then that's why you study God's word, because when you study God's word, you learn. And when you study God's word, you'll find that the, in, in the original, remember the, God, the word wasn't written in English, or for those who are Hispanic, or in Spanish either. Uh, a lot of the por- this portion of the, of the word was actually written originally in Hebrew, and in the original Hebrew, the word that where we read punish, it's a word that doesn't mean the kids are guilty, that's why the punishment, it means consequences that repeat. So what it says is people who hate God, who have idolatry and who disobey God, what's going to happen is that in their next generations, there's going to be consequences that repeat. Is somebody following me right now? In other words, the sins of the parents that happen in one generation tend to repeat themselves in the next, right? So we can put that, what happens in one generation often repeats itself in the next, And we can all see this reality played out when we look back at our foo, family of origin. Let me just identify some, we'll put them on the the wall here, some repeating patterns in, in many families. And every family is different. No family is perfect. We can start listing them on production. Let's just start listing them. Divorce. Sometimes you can look back at your family of origin Parents, grandparents, great-parents, great-grandparents, and you're going to see some of these patterns. Just keep listing them on there. Just keep listing them all for me. Divorce, alcoholism, that's a big one. Addictive behaviors, whether it's gambling, whether it's addictive vices like drugs, uh, you know, or alcohol, sexual addictions. Uh, Sibling rivalry, just boom, between brothers or sisters. Poor marriages, you see pattern. And so and so and so and so, uh, runaway child, child that just says, "I'm out of here." When I turn 16, 17, 18, boom. Sometimes they don't even wait that long. Pregnancy out of wedlock. That's you know that's unplanned and out of order. Sexual abuse, all every abuse, verbal, physical, sexual. Broken relationships, and you look back. Financial disorder lack of financial peace or financial freedom, and it's just transmitted from one to the next to the next. Some of you are like, Pastor, take it easy, Pastor. And for some of you, you see two or three that really catch your attention there, or as you look at your, at your family back, maybe three, and some of you are like, Pastor, it's all those and more. This is, this is the reality. Scientists debate whether these are a result of nature or nurture. In other words, is it biological because of your DNA or is it because of the environment that you grew up in? I kind of personally think there's, there's a little bit of both in there. But the Bible makes it clear in Exodus 20 that both blessings and the sins of our family going back two to three to four generations often what? Repeat themselves. So it's not just the influence of your mom and dad, but also the influence of their moms and dads and even your great-grandparents. These can play a role into how you look at life and how your relationships are today. You know what's an interesting reality? You can have Jesus in your heart, but grandpa in your bones. You could have Jesus in your heart, but mom's in your skin. 
Because sometimes there are repeated patterns that the enemy wants to take advantage of. Oh, well, this is just how our family's always been. Yeah, exactly. You're defining a generational curse or patterns of dysfunction. Oh, it's just, you know, all the men in that family have always been rage. They're full of rage. They've all been a little promiscuous. All the guys in that family have extramarital affairs and babies. Do you see the patterns? It's kind of like an invisible magnet that has a strong pull on you, and sometimes you don't even understand why or how am I doing this. It's until we look under the iceberg. Because so many times we're just focused on the outside because we want to appear and look so good on the We put on the mask. We put on the facade. But we're not dealing with what's beneath the surface. And so here's the point. If you want to live in freedom and walk into God's future for your life, you have to break the patterns from your past. You have to deal with the baggage no matter how much and how heavy it is. Because if not, pain concealed is pain unhealed. Let's talk about Joseph and his family today. In the Bible, it's an interesting family, Joseph and his family. Um, It gives us a good example of everything we're talking about today. You know, it's interesting that 25% of the book of Genesis, which is a pretty big book, it's all about the origin story of one family. How God called this one man Abraham, if you recall, and he said, you are going to be the father of many nations. By the way, that's a blessing from God. That's a ble- You're going to be the father of many nations. Abraham passed that on to his son Isaac, who then passed it on to his son Jacob, who later Jacob's name turned to Israel. He had 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. One of them was Joseph. Here's an interesting point you got to take note of. Just like blessings can be passed from one generation to the next, so can brokenness and sin. For example, in Joseph's family history, there was a blessing, which was that you'll be father of many nations, but there are also some repeating patterns in their family story. If you look at Joseph's story, you're going to find lying and deceit. Remember Abraham, he lied about his wife Sarah really being his sister. And then after that, we saw... Uh, the lying where Jacob lied to his father saying that he was Esau and he put fake hair on his arm so that he could get the first, the birthright of the firstborn. Then Joseph's brothers lied to their father saying that Joseph got mauled by an animal and died when really they had sold him as a slave to Egypt because they hated him. There's also a history of favoritism in their family. Favoritism from a parent towards one of the sons. Abraham favored Isaac Isaac favored, generally favored Esau. That's why the mom had to work with Jacob to try to trick him for the firstborn, right? Uh, Jacob favored Joseph. He made, it, he made him a coat of many colors. Imagine what statement that made to the rest of the 11 brothers when Joseph came around with his little coat. Also, family cutoffs were part of their family history. Siblings cut off from each other. Isaac, Ishmael, foom. Jacob and Esau, foom. Joseph and his brothers, cut off. Also in their family history, dysfunctional marriages. Abraham tried to, tried to help God, had a baby with Hagar. Isaac had a poor marriage. Jacob had two wives and two concubines. Imagine that household. The Bible is clear. 
There's no such thing as a perfect family. Right from the opening pages of the Bible in Genesis, we see family dysfunction that has to be overcome by the power of God. Cain and Abel, I mean, right from the beginning. So, 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 so take a deep breath. Don't feel bad. Come on, tell somebody. Say, don't feel bad. Don't feel bad. Hey, hey, there's no perfect family. <laughs> we all have something to work on. And that's why Joseph's story is so hopeful. Because with all of this crazy family drama, Joseph still trusts God and that God is working behind the scenes in the midst of everything. And we're going to see how he overcomes this. Let's just jump real quick towards the end. I want to take you to the climax of the story. I'm not going to go through the details because we're going to get to that a little bit later. But let me take you to the end. Genesis 50. Genesis 50. Tell somebody it's the first book. Tell them it's the first one. Genesis 50. And we're going to go to verse 15. We're going to the end of the story. So by the way, by the way, at this point, <laughs> remember Joseph's brothers had sold him as a slave in Egypt. They thought he's probably dead. He ends up being, at this point, a lot of things happen. He ends up being second in command in all of Egypt, basically the vice president behind Pharaoh. And he's got the power. There's a famine in the whole land, and the brothers are coming. They're coming to, to beg for food from Egypt because they're the only ones who had a plan because of the dreams that Joseph interpreted. Okay, it's a long story. Joseph recognizes them because they haven't changed too much, but they can't recognize him because all they knew is that he was a slave and most likely dead. And what happens is they have a re-encounter. A re, uh, they find out, oh, my gosh, this is Joseph. He's alive. Then they start thinking, what is he going to do to us? Genesis 50, verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, this is now when the father died, he, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, Joseph, Joseph, your father left these instructions before he died. They were manipulating the situation. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. Okay, pause. Joseph, by this point, was a man in tune with his emotions. He had a lot of grief hurt and sadness from his life, from his past, and from his family history. He was one of 12 brothers. We were just talking about it, right? He was his father's favorite, which wasn't a good thing. So parents, don't play the whole favorites thing because that will end up turning damaging to your kids and to your future generations as well. And because of that, they hated him so much. Okay, it wasn't just because Joseph was just a hard to get along with. Now, he may have been immature in a few, moments, a few times, like when he told them the dreams he had. He may have done things out of time, and he may have, like, you know, flaunted his coat. Who knows? But really, it's his father's favoritism that put the rest of his brothers against him. And they told, they eventually, they hated him so much that they, they actually wanted to kill him and leave him for dead in a cistern. But then one of them was so good that he said, let's not kill him. Let's sell him as a slave to Egypt. You know, out of the graciousness of his heart. And so he gets, imagine selling a brother as a slave. By the way, this is the first, the first evidence of human trafficking in the Bible. Being sold against your will. And uh, things got even crazier for Joseph when he got to Egypt, as you can imagine. He was falsely accused of rape. Then he spent 10 years in prison. Joseph had a lot of reasons to be bitter. Let's put it that way by all the damage his brothers caused. But you know what it says over and over in Genesis? It says, but God was with Joseph. 
over and over. God was with Joseph in the pit, at Potiphar's house, in the prison, all the way to the palace. God was with Joseph. He never lost confidence that God was with him, working for his good, even when he couldn't see it or perceive it. Many of you know the story. Through multiple miraculous interventions, Joseph eventually is pulled out of prison by God's grace and promoted after interpreting a dream for Pharaoh, promoted to second in all of Egypt, prime minister. And God gave him divine understanding to interpret dreams and to come up with a strategy to store food for seven years while there was abundance. If, you know this, if you've read the story, if not, read Genesis. It's a really cool story. And then his brothers show up begging for mercy and help They don't even recognize him, but Joseph recognizes them. And then then there's this key moment where where he reveals his identity to his brothers after being disconnected for 20 years. And I don't know about you, but this looks like the perfect opportunity to get some revenge. And look how he responds, verse 18. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. By the way, that was an appropriate... (laughs) They came and they said, we're your slaves because they knew the position they were in. And Joseph says in verse 19, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, brothers, don't be afraid. I will provide for you, and by the way, and for your children too. See a generational blessing there? And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Now, now this is, by the way, this is a picture of the gospel because the gospel is very, very good news to people who, don't, who are undeserving. <laughs> and, so, and so when we talk about Christianity, really it's about being reborn into a new family. When you are born again, spiritually speaking, not physically, spiritually speaking, you, you now have a new identity in Christ. That's why, that's why uh, um, 1 Corinthians says, I am a new creation. But you are also part of a new family. Did you know that? So here it is. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you are reborn as a new person in a new family. I was expecting like three or four amens, but that's okay. That's okay. Sometimes there's times of scarcity. You have a new heavenly father. You have a new spiritual family. You have new brothers and sisters. And you have a new inheritance, which is heaven, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But don't get too excited. But just because you have a new family, spiritually, doesn't mean you, got, you don't got some baggage from your foo, your family of origin. Because things happen to you as you're growing up that you're sometimes completely unaware of. So yes, you're born again as a new person in a new family, but you sometimes still carry old values, old perspectives, old patterns that were taught to you by your earthly family. So, Generally speaking, our families that we grow up in have a strong influence over how we deal with conflict. They have a strong influence over how we do and see and manage relationships. They have a strong influence over how we deal with grief and loss. Do we bottle it in? Do we explode pain, discomfort, uh, conflict? How we express our anger 
how our attitudes are towards other cultures and people that are different than us. How we express our feelings and our emotions. Our families generally have a strong influence over what we think about money, sex, success in life, our view of God, if we even believe in him, parenting, and marriage. That's why you see repeated consequences. Family of origin. Both the good and the bad. Opportunities, but also obstacles. Blessings and baggage. Here's the good news. Your family of origin doesn't determine your eternal destiny. God determines your eternal destiny. That's good news because when you become a Christian, the blood that determines where you go isn't your family blood. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that has shed on the blood and that you've received as his son or daughter. But maturing in Christ, it means we're going to have to do what Christ did and we're going to have to take some things to the cross and some things are going to have to die and some things are going to have to be laid down and put to rest. We've got to crucify the old, broken, sinful patterns of our past, unfortunately handed down to us from our previous generations. So to move forward with Christ, you got to go back. But Christ doesn't make you go alone. He goes with you. As you go back, he goes with you to take you through a process and a journey of healing and true freedom, which I tend to say most people never go through. Most people are only dealing with a superficial 10% of their life. And a lot of the rest of the 90 remains untouched by Jesus. And that's why I say it's possible to be saved but broken. It's possible to be saved but not free. It's possible to be out of Egypt, but Egypt is still up in you. And that's what we do as a church to help people through discipleship. It's not just I'm saved and I was born again. That's beautiful and we're so happy and we celebrate that. But the problem is when the baby ain't growing. And the baby, how old is that baby? Well, they've been coming to church for 20 years, but they're still a baby. Bring some pampers. And the tricky thing is that we, we self-deceive. That was the first study. And there's so many people that we think, this is such a great message for him and for her. <laughs> we need some Johnson baby powder. When you don't know your family dynamics under the iceberg, you are at risk of having a big accident, kind of like a sailor who's looking just at the top of the iceberg and not realizing that it goes all the way under over here. Titanic, ring a bell? Let's talk about Joseph's trauma. In Genesis 50, there's a lot going on under the iceberg of Joseph's family, and his family included a lot of trauma. So let's talk about, let's define trauma. Trauma is an earthquake event that has a lasting effect on your mental or emotional health. An earthquake event, think of an earthquake, it shakes, it shakes everything and it affects everything. By the way, some of us experience a lot of earthquake trauma from our parents and from our grandparents. Some young people today, you're experiencing some earthquake events from your parents and your grandparents, your great-grandparents. Don't lose hope. With Jesus, there's hope. We're going to get there. We have to learn this. We have to understand this. 
Three major traumas in Joseph's life. I'm going to just fly by these. Three traumas in Joseph's life. Number one, he was betrayed by his brothers. So, so his, why? The question is why? Was he just ruthless? Was he just like a really bad guy? Was he just like a horrible person? You know, what, what was the issue? Well, there was favoritism by his father towards him. And uh, maybe there was a little bit of immaturity on his part. Again, he was young. He was a teenager. So immaturity, teenager, that's kind of synonymous. But they sold him as a slave. I mean, you, you might have a brother or sister who hurt you, but I don't know if they sold you as a slave. Second, he was, one, he was betrayed by his brothers. Two, he was slow, sold into slavery. That's the second trauma. So one thing is, you know, to be hurt and to be betrayed. But another thing is, I, I was sold. <laughs> I was human trafficked. In one moment, in one day, he lost his family, he lost his culture, he lost his language, he lost his land, he lost all sense of security, ripped from him. Unjustly. Three, a decade in prison. A decade in prison. Bible, according to the Bible, calculates it was probably somewhere between 10 and 13 years. By the way, for a crime, he didn't commit. He was falsely accused. If you, know, if you read the story, he was, he, was, he was basically the chief of staff at Potiphar's house. He, he worked his way up. He was just a slave. And somehow, he, everywhere, he, everywhere Joseph was planted, he flourished. And he's in charge of Potiphar's house. And Potiphar's wife, she was looking a little too much at Joseph. And the Bible says that Joseph was a handsome man. And um, she, she said, sleep with me on more than one occasion. And Joseph was an integrous man. And he says, I can't do that to God, and I can't do that to my master. No. Until one time, she says, sleep with me. She grabbed him. He ran. She ended up with his tunic. And Joseph ran, which, by the way, is what you're supposed to do when there's sexual temptation. you got to run. But because it was her word against his, the wife of Potiphar and a slave, she said, he tried to rape me. When really he was sexually harassed, but she said that he did it, he ended up going to prison. Can you imagine how Joseph felt? Like when he sat down in prison that day, like saying, God, really? Like not only, did I, not only did I not do the wrong thing, I went above and beyond and did the right thing. And this is it? Sometimes we don't realize that prison is a stop before the palace. That's hard to swallow, but sometimes it's a reality that we need to understand. Hmm. So, jo- so Joseph definitely had some heavy baggage from his family. I'm not sure how much baggage you might have. And you might think, man, how did this guy move forward with all that? Because it was probably five times this plus duffel bags, right? Like, you know, and the bowling bags, right? The bowling balls. Like, how did this guy move forward with all this trauma and all this tragedy? And I pray that you don't have the same trauma and tragedy as Joseph growing up. But we all have baggage. And God wants to heal and restore and redeem your life. Can I tell you why it's so important to deal with your iceberg? Can I tell you why it's so important? Here it is, because if you don't transform your pain, you will inevitably transmit your pain. So the pain in your family, you are a stop on its path. And you determine if you close the door and cut the chain or if you leave the door open and transmit it on. I praise God that my parents closed a bunch of doors of idolatry, of alcohol, 
of this financial disorder, family disorder. Now, they weren't perfect, but they closed a lot of those doors. And guess what? That door, did, I didn't have to deal with that door. Thank you, Jesus. And my, my kids will not have to deal with a bunch of those doors. Here, here's an interesting thing. My kids will have to deal with the doors that I don't close. Because if I don't transform it, I will transmit it. But eventually, in their differentiation, even if they don't get it from me, there might be some other, because sometimes some pipes come from other directions. Which is the reason why the wrong friends can't open up the wrong doors. If you don't transform it, you will transmit it. So family pain, we're coming, coming to a close soon. People can be broken and plagued by many factors in their family of origin. And you may have experienced some of these as a kid or as a teenager and growing up. For example, harsh and hurtful words. Do you find that there's a lot of harsh and hurtful words now in your life and in your family? And could it be that that's kind of the atmosphere you grew up in? Abuse. Constantly we see patterns of abuse in families. And usually, and you know what it is? You know what it is? Here's the other thing that's very, very unhealthy. Don't tell anybody. What's the, what we do in this family stays in this family. Which is normally out of shame and guilt and pain. And then it's this vow of silence just keeping it in. And in the silence, the doors just fling wide open to the next generation. To the next generation. We need help. We need help from God, and we need help from God's people, and from sometimes from the right people. We'll talk about that next week, including counselors in our lives. Fighting and screaming. Drugs. Oh, what's natural to crazy stuff and, and alcohol. 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 I think one of the most single, most devastating. My parents closed the door to alcohol in my family, and by God's grace and in Jesus' name, I will keep that door closed because I do not want to pass alcohol to my children. Alcohol, well, I just do it socially. Do, you, do it socially. Enjoy your socially because your kids will do it socially, and their kids will do it socially. Hey, hey, by the way, I don't want to impose my convictions on you, but this is a strong conviction that I have. Me and my family, my kids, never tasted it, never want it, never need it, see, have seen it destroy and break families and people and generations. And I, I will not, if you come to my house or to an event that we do, you won't find it. You won't find it. If I go to your house and you have it, hey, I won't judge, but I may not be back with my kids. And I uh, love, I love, love and respect, but I'm not letting anything get in in that area. Abuse. How many stories do we have? The uncle. It was the uncle. It was the neighbor. It was dad. Mom didn't do anything about it. They didn't believe me. So much pain. Prematurely exposed to pornography, which is now worse than ever. By the time kids are 10, they've already... They're already in it. If your kid's 10, they've already seen it. You got to be careful with their friends. And if they have devices, it's a grip of the enemy. Feeling unprotected and unloved by parents and siblings and the people that are supposed to love you the most. And if we don't 
transform it, we will transmit it. What we do here stays here. Tell anybody. That's why there's families that, that look perfect on the outside, on the, on the surface. But when you uncover the iceberg and you open the closet doors and take a look in the garage, The number of secrets in the family often is an indicator of its health or its sickness. You don't have to seek it out, but Psalm 40, verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. That's powerful. All right, I want to I finish off. Why do people have a hard time going back in order to go forward? Why do people have a hard time to go back in order to go forward? Number one, people say it's just too painful. I already had to live through it once. Why should I relive it again? Because it's there. Pain unhealed. Pain concealed is pain unhealed. I can't change the past. What's the use in going back? If you don't deal with it, it'll deal with you. Second thing, second reason, I just don't see any good reason to bring up the past, Pastor. Isn't it better to just forget it and pretend it didn't happen? No, you got, you got to deal with it. Transform it or else you transmit it. And thirdly, people say, I don't want to disrespect my parents or my family. I find that this is a big one. And it's important to recognize that the reason to go back is not to blame or to criticize or to talk bad about parents or grandparents. Most of them did the best they could with what they were handed. That's not to justify or to minimize. But a lot of them didn't even know Jesus. That the point of going back is not to dishonor. The point of going back is to be honest about what happened and recognize that we need healing for the brokenness. And, and in order for us to move forward, we gotta go back. And in order for us to stop this and cut it off for our future generations, if we don't deal with it, then, then now they're faced with all this baggage. And I don't know about you, but I would love for my kids to travel with a handbag at most. Joseph had a broken family and his life was filled with trauma, but praise God, there's redemption. Here's the final three steps to move forward in healing and freedom. Three steps. Number one, trust that God is guiding your life. That means both the good and the bad. I love reading in Genesis throughout all the craziness in Joseph's life. It says over and over again, like in Genesis 39, 21, but the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. But the Lord was with Joseph right there in the worst of times, even in his dark days. And can I tell you something today? He's with you. He's with you. The only way that Joseph could come to face, face to face 22 years later with the brothers who sold him into slavery, <laughs> the only way that he could come to the point where he says these words in verse 20, 
you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Notice that Joseph doesn't minimize the pain. Notice that he doesn't ignore the trauma. He's honest. He said, you guys tried to hurt me bad. But he was able to see God's invisible hand in the midst of all of it. Number two, honestly admit your sadness and your losses. Another way of saying it is honestly grieve your pain. We see that in Genesis 50 verse 17, it says that when his brothers came, it says that Joseph wept. I think in English, it's, that word is important. Joseph wept. He didn't cry. Cry is when you hurt your toe. Weep is when you break your heart. And it says that the whole palace heard his cries. The whole palace heard his cries. In that moment, he was going through a, 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 a moment that was bringing great healing to his heart. And it's important to express grief. And let me tell you something. And to release tears. Salt water heals. And I think some of us here haven't, haven't cried the tears that we needed to cry in a process of true healing and grief. Because we're not going to ignore it. We're not going to just stick it in a closet. We have to acknowledge it. Most of us don't want to go back and feel the hurt of the past again. But Joseph took the time to grieve what happened to him. And the Bible says that the weep was so loud, everybody heard it. Three, transform your family pain with forgiveness. That's the key word. Transform family pain with forgiveness. It's the most important step for true freedom and true healing. You have to ask God to transform your family through radical forgiveness. Radical. Think about what Joseph, how Joseph could have reacted in this moment where his brothers come. They don't even recognize him. He could have said from when he saw them, he could have said, hey, those guys over there, don't let them in. Tell them we're not going to help them. Send them away. And maintain the disconnection. Maintain the family conflict. Maintain them over there and us over here. He could have done that. Or, or he, could have, he could have acted in anger and shown his power. Made them nervous. Or he could have been like, time for some revenge. You guys are going to prison. Ten years. See how you like it. I mean, I mean, if some of us were in that position, that would be awfully tempting. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So don't be afraid, brothers. I will provide for you and I'll provide for your children. And he reassured and spoke kindly to them. Joseph was breaking generational dysfunction right here. Joseph said, it stops here. Instead of paying you back for what you did to me, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless your children. His decision is not just for him, but it's for his future generation. I'm taking true leadership in my family and I'm setting a new pattern of health and blessing. And I don't care if grandpa drank, I ain't going to drink. And I don't care if, if great-grandpa divorced and auntie divorced and uncle divorced and even my brother divorced. I'm stopping it here. I'm closing this door. It's not continuing on because we are a new creation in a new family with a new father. I think a lot of us need healing. A lot of us need healing and freedom. 
And at the end of today's, at the end, we're going to have a lot of people up here for prayer because I honestly think a lot of, a lot of us need prayer. It's up to you. Is the Holy Spirit ministering to anybody here today? Let's pray. Lord, right now, I uh, lift up every person in this place, every man, woman, and young person in this place and connected online. And Lord, we are asking you for help so that we can go back in order to move forward. Lord, there is so much pain, hurt, trauma, and baggage from our past and from our families that you are our hope. And today we come before you asking you to help us. Help us to trust that you are in control of everything, the good and the bad. Help us, Lord, to truly grieve our losses, to be honest and sincere about our pains and our hurts. Help us through a process of true healing and freedom, which might require tears. It might require writing some letters personally. It might require self-examining. It might require forgiving, but also asking for forgiveness. Lord, I pray that we would be willing to transform our family pain with forgiveness. And Lord, I know that this is a big challenge for a lot of us. But Lord, we can forgive even when people are no longer here. Your word and your Holy Spirit can lead us to a place of true forgiveness, which may or may not lead us to reconciliation. But Lord, forgiveness is powerful. And Lord, help us not be self-deceived to think that we need to forgive but not ask for forgiveness because maybe we've added a little bit of pain and baggage in somebody else's life. Lord, heal our families. Heal our marriages. Heal us. Heal our parents and grandparents. Heal our children. All that are alive. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Vertical Church Podcast. And thank you to all of you who give generously to this ministry. You make this ministry possible. You can always give online by visiting us at verticalchurch.com. And if you enjoyed this message, you can subscribe, rate it, share it with your friends, and you can also share it on social media and tag us at vertical underscore social. Thanks again for listening, and God bless you.